Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Curd Friends in the Mountains, a travel memoir written and narrated by Robert Fairhead from the Tall and True Writer's Website. My wife and I visited Turkey in 1988. We had endured our first English winter and spent two weeks hugging the coastal sites and sunny beaches. We returned in 1990, venturing far from the coast to the mountains of eastern Turkey, where Kurds befriended us and where we learned a little of Kurdish culture. Travelling by bus and Dolj, a Turkish minibus, we pushed further and further east until we reached the point of no return, at least not back by bus to Istanbul in time to fly home to England. So we improvised and booked a flight to Istanbul from eastern Turkey instead. Those were the golden days of independent travel, when we could improvise and travel in relative safety, even if it meant we were the only tourists on a crowded Dolmuş on a steep, windy road deep in the Kurdish mountains. Our relative safety was thanks to the hospitality of the people we encountered on buses and dolmushes, and in towns like Doyabayazit and Diyarbakir. My travel journal records many interactions and acts of kindness. 19th of September, 1990. After travelling all day along the Soviet border, we arrived in Doyabayazit at 6pm, too late to push on to van. A tourist rep invited our little group to his office to discuss hotels and excursions. He gave us the rundown on room rates and an itinerary for a tour to visit local sites and the Iranian border before taking us to Van. After business, he served chai, Turkish tea, and showed me how to play a tune on his saz, a traditional stringed instrument. He also gave me tips on cassette tapes to look for in the markets. Kurdish music, he explained, because I am a Kurd, not a Turk. We reconvened in the morning and set off in a minibus with our guide and driver. The tour included visits to mountaintop villages, the impressive ruins of the Ishak Pasha Palace, the resting place of Noah's Ark, and the world's second largest meteorite crater, with a chai break at the Iranian border. I felt like an intruder walking through the Kurdish villages, but our guide ushered us on, and the villagers seemed relaxed with our presence. Women laughed at our tourists' attempts to help them grind maize with large wooden sledgehammers. I was also uncomfortable using my camera in the villages, but that didn't stop me. 20th of September, 1990. A group of children ran towards us, hands outstretched, chanting, Bonbons! Bonbons! I took a photo of one young girl and immediately felt guilty because I didn't have any sweets for her. Between stops, I chatted with our tour guide, like the Doyabayazit tourist rep, he was Kurd, first and foremost. On the prospect of war between America and Iraq, he explained, Saddam is not a Kurd. He is Arab. He is fascist. Yet the guide wanted war, not to defeat Saddam Hussein, but to draw Turkey into the conflict. And then he asserted the Kurds would take advantage of the situation. After the mountains and sparse villages, the sprawling city of Van was a shock. We spent one noisy, restless night before boarding a morning ferry for the four-hour Lake Van crossing to Tatvan. The Turkish military presence in Tatvan was significant, with fenced-off compounds and tanks, 
so we didn't hang about for long, catching the first available bus to Diyarbakir. It was dark when the bus reached the city's outskirts, which loomed large and bright, a mass of lights. We hopped onto a dolmush and headed into the town centre, hoping to find a hotel. 21st of September, 1990. Befriended by a young guy, who said he was home on holiday from studying political science in Istanbul. He led us to a decent hotel near the bazaar. On the way, he talked about the futility of a Kurd studying political science in Turkey, and he fended off a couple of cheeky kids who tried to pick my pockets. The next day, we learned, was a public holiday. The banks were closed, and the big hotels in our vicinity would only change money for their guests. With insufficient Turkish lira, we faced a day of bread and water, and then we met another local guy who spoke German. I explained our plight to him in my schoolboy Deutsch, and he offered to change a few of our British pounds into life-saving lira. Afterwards, he invited us to his uncle's shop near the bazaar for chai. It seemed churlish to refuse the invitation, so we followed him to the shop. But I politely declined nine Dankeschön when the uncle rolled out carpets with the chai. Undaunted, our new friend offered to show us the city walls, and again we accepted. 22nd of September, 1990. We climbed the city wall near the remains of a gate, with no other tourists in sight. From the top, we could see the stark contrast between the fertile strip of the river Tigris and the dry, dusty plains and mountains in the distance, and behind us, the built-up hustle and bustle of Diyarbakir. After the tour, our friend led us back to a stall in the bazaar, selling traditional baggy trousers. He seemed disappointed I didn't want to buy a pair. However, he was pleased when he found me a tape of Kurdish music, and I bought it. We parted with our friend, returning to the hotel to pack for the flight to Istanbul. But as promised, we visited his uncle's shop to say goodbye before heading to the airport. 22nd of September, 1990. When we arrived at the shop, we found our friend having chai with the young guy who had helped us with the hotel last night. Neither seemed perturbed by the coincidence. Our newer friend tried to get us a taxi on the phone, but reported they were all too expensive. He offered to run us to the airport in his car for only 15,000 lira. What else could we say but Dankeschön? Three years after our trip to Turkey, Kurdish separatists, the Kurdistan Workers' Party, PKK, took hostage a British and Australian couple on a cycling tour near Tatvan. They held the couple for five weeks before releasing them unharmed, along with four French tourists, in August 1993. In May 1993, the PKK ambushed and killed 33 Turkish military recruits and five civilians. In retaliation, the Turkish military launched a counterinsurgency campaign against the PKK and their supporters, destroying over 3,000 Kurdish villages. Unsurprisingly, the UK Foreign Office advised tourists to avoid eastern Turkey, and the golden days of independent travel in the region were over. 30 years on, I still have our travel-worn map of Turkey, my journal, the tape of Kurdish music, and the photo of the young girl in the village. She looks about five in the photo, and would be in her mid-30s now. Whenever Kurds make the news, in Turkey, Iraq, Iran or Syria, I think about that girl in the photo. Did her village survive the counterinsurgency campaign? Is she grinding maize with the other women? Do her children beg for bonbons? Or does she have another life? In a city or refugee camp? There is a saying, Kurds have no friends but the mountains. In my journal entries, I referred to the Kurds we met and who helped us on our travels as friends. I'm not naive. 
I know our friendly Kurdish tourist reps and city guides got back sheesh for their services, but looking back, I also believe their presence kept us safe, and I wish the world would do the same for our Kurd friends in the mountains today. Hi, I'm Robert Fairhead from Tall and True Short Reads and the Tall and True Writer's Website. I wrote Kurd Friends in the Mountains in October 2019, drawing on my memories, journal entries, travel-worn map and the photo of the young girl I had taken on my trip to eastern Turkey in 1990. I have an Iraqi Kurd friend who was a refugee in Iran for several years before resettling in Australia. One night we were talking about his experience and I mentioned that I had visited the Kurdish areas of Turkey and had a tape of Kurdish music. I also told him about the photo I had taken of the young girl in the village. My friend has a young Australian-born daughter, and I realised she would be a similar age to the girl on the photo. And the thought of how different those two girls' lives could have been, one raised in Australia, the other in the Kurdish mountains, inspired me to write this travel memoir and share it as a blog post on Tall and True. I hope you enjoyed my story about Kurd Friends in the Mountains. You can read this and all my writing at tallandtrue.com. You can also buy my short story collections, including my latest collection, 12 More Furious Months, from the Amazon Kindle and Kobo online bookstores. Links are available in the show notes. The next episode of Tall and True Short Reads will be in your podcast feed shortly. In the meantime, check your feed or the podcast website, tallandtrueshortreads.com, for earlier episodes from Seasons 1, 2 and 3. And follow or subscribe to the podcast and rate and review it via your favourite app. Doing so helps me share my writing with other listeners. You can support this podcast financially by making a small one-off or regular donation via the ACAST supporter page. You'll find a link in the show notes. And finally, please tell your family and friends about Tall and True Short Reads and the Tall and True Writer's Website.